Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gave his disciples a pattern of prayer or the model prayer, how they should pray. And he says in verse 9, you should pray in this way. In other words, it's not to be a meaningless repetition that we use, but it is a pattern that this is how you should pray, okay? And he says, when you pray in this way, you pray like this. He said, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we said that prayer is remembering. It's remembering that God is our Father, that he is holy, that he is almighty. There's nothing that is too hard for him. Then he says, you also pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, prayer is not only remembering, it's also relinquishing. It's not about my goals. It's not about my ambitions. It's not about my dreams. It's about relinquishing my desires, my hopes, and surrendering them to God and asking that he will rule and reign in my life. Then he says this in verse 11. He said, give us this day our daily bread. And so he said that prayer is not only about remembering, it's also about re re relinquishing, it's also about relying on God, us knowing that we are dependent on him for everything, that God owns it all, and that we should trust God, that God is going to take care of his children and be content in what he has given us every single day. Now we're going to move to another petition that we see in verse 12, and here's what Matthew records in verse 12. He says this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, if you look at the parallel to this prayer in Luke 11, you know there's a little bit of different phrasing on this one section. Luke says it like this in Luke 11 and 4. He says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so there's not really an issue there because when you look at it below the surface, going back to Matthew, and Matthew records it as forgive us our debts. Debts means an offense. It means a sin. Okay, so there, 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 there's no difference really in these two words. A debt a sin, an offense, all of those things encompasses what we're going to be looking at today. And so when we pray, forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins, what does it mean there? It simply means this. It means to miss the mark. When you're talking about sins, missing the mark, guilt, a sin, a fault, a failure, a sinful deed. And so I would look at it like this. Prayer is about remembering God is our Father. It's about relinquishing our wills, our desires to His. It's about remembering I'm relying on God for everything. And to kind of say with the R's here, I would say this, that prayer is about reconciling. When I'm talking about reconciling, I'm talking about it means to restore or to bring into harmony two different parties. Okay. And so in the previous verse, when he says we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread, that is we are to pray to God to supply our most basic physical needs, which is daily bread. So that request deals with our basic physical needs. 
Now this request in verse 12 deals with our basic spiritual need. Every single one of us, you have one basic spiritual need, and that is this. It is forgiveness from God. Now that would, ask, that would beg me to ask you this question. Have you ever asked God for forgiveness? Okay? Have you ever asked God for forgiveness? Now you may say, I'm not a bad person. You may say, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty good. But my question is, what is the standard that you are using when you think of yourself as good? What's your standard? Are you using your coworker as the standard? So I'm better than them. Are you using your neighbor as the standard? I've got news for you. That's not the standard. God is the standard. He's the standard that you got to meet. And when you compare yourself to God, you realize what Paul would say in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and come short or fall short. And that word fall is in the present tense. We all fall short of the glory or the standard of God. All of us do. Your spouse is not the standard. God is. God's the standard. And when you compare yourself to God, you'll always come up short. you always come up short. And I think what we need to really kind of look at more close is this, what is actually sin? Sin is missing the mark. It is violating the will of God. His will is found in Scripture. It's transgressing the law. It is disobeying God. Well, how is it that we are made right with God? Paul would say in Romans 5 and 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And so we are justified, we're declared righteous by faith. And as a result of us being declared righteous, Paul would say in Romans 8 and 1, there is now therefore no condemnation. And so when we turn to Christ in repentance and faith, we are saved from the power of sin. We're saved from the penalty of sin. But guess what? We still deal every day in our life because we live in a fallen world with the presence of sin. And you're going to deal with that presence until you get to heaven. You're going to deal with it until you get to heaven. So this morning, I want to look at two areas of reconciliation that Jesus says when we go before God, our Father, in prayer that we need to deal with. The first one is vertically. In other words, between us and God. Look what he says there again, verse 12. And forgive us our debts. What is a debt? It's an offense. It's a sin. Augustine who was called one of the greatest Christian thinkers of the first century, said of this petition found in our text this morning that when Jesus says that we are to pray, forgive us our debts, our sins, he is not talking about the great forgiveness, okay? In other words, he's not talking about that for great forgiveness that is found in salvation, but what he's talking about here is our daily infirmities. And when Matthew says we should pray, Forgive us our debts. We need to realize this. 
we are all in here debtors to God because of our sins and transgressions. Every single one of us are. Again, remember, sin is what? It is missing the mark. It is transgressing against God's commands. And every day in your life, you rack up a debt that you cannot pay. Now, you may not think you do, but just ask your spouse. Or if you've got a teenage daughter, you ask her, and I guarantee she will tell you three times at least where you've messed up, where you've fallen short. See, sin can be put in two different categories. I would call sins of commission. In other words, these are things that we do. Things that we do. See, sin is not what someone else says it is. It's not what some denomination says it is. It's not even what necessarily grandma says it is. Sin is more than drunkenness. It's more than homosexuality. It's more than adultery. It's more than stealing. Sin is missing the mark. It's falling short of the standard that God has placed for us. See, Paul would say that whatever is not from or of faith is sin. So when, listen, when you don't trust God, what is that? It's sin. When you are anxious, what is that? It's sin. If Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, and you're worried about tomorrow, you're transgressing his commands. If the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but yet you're anxious this morning, what is that? That is transgressing against the commands of God. When you live in fear, what is that? It's sin. You understand this? So sin is a lot more than what we have on our so-called list of things. And as long as I've been in this, I've realized that what most people call big sins are what other people's doing. Not our worrying, not our gossiping, not our bitterness, not our unforgiveness. We kind of just gloss over those kind of things. And we've been known to call them weaknesses, hindrances, but God calls it sin. God calls it sin. So there's not only the sins of commission, things that you do, there's also sins of omission. In other words, when you're supposed to do something, but you don't do it. James would say this, therefore to him who knows to do the right thing, to do and does not do it, he says, what is it? It is sin. When you know you're supposed to do something good and you don't do it, James says, that is sin. And so when you define sin biblically, you understand that you miss the mark. See, as we walk through this world as God's children, we all have a tendency at times to get our shoes dirty. And when you miss the mark, when you fall short, it's not that that relationship is severed, it's still intact, but that relationship is strained. Let me kind of put it in human terms, okay? Parent-child. Listen, 
as a parent, if you give your children rules, and you say, son, I want you to be home tonight by 11 o'clock, okay? That's the standard. And he comes wheeling in at 1.15. He has broken your command. Now listen. Now at the breakfast table the next morning when you get up and say, let's come for breakfast, if we did that, the relationship would still be intact, but it would be strained. You understand that? There would not be joy in that relationship because there's a rift there. There's been something that has been broken and it will not be restored to its proper enjoyment until an apology is made. We understand this as husbands and wives. Now, when you have a disagreement over something, you may kind of get upset with one another. It doesn't mean they're no longer your wife or no longer your husband, but it does mean there's going to be a strain in that relationship until one party says, I'm sorry. Look at David. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had one of his closest protectors, Uriah, murdered in an attempt to cover up his sin, David says this as he looks back on that incident. He says in Psalm 32 and 4, he says, For day and night your hand was heavy up on me. In other words, God had not taken his hand off David, but God was only patting David on the back, so to speak. No, he was disciplined, David. And David said, as long as that relationship was strained, he said, my vitality was drained away as with the fever, as, as with the fever heat of the summer. Even David, when he prays his prayer of repentance, he said in verse 12, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. In other words, understand this. David realized the enjoyment was not there anymore. Why? Because of offenses. Because of offenses. And listen, when you miss the mark in your life, you've got two options. You can either conceal it or you can confess it. Understand this. You can either conceal it or you can confess it. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You always renounce, you always confess before God. And this is what Jesus is telling us to pray. When we pray, a Christian should live a constant life of repentance. Always confessing. Not trying to conceal. And let me pause here to say this. Listen, you should not confess any larger area than your offense is. Okay? Let me, under, let, let me, let me just kind of stay here just for a second, okay? In other words, if it's a sin of the heart and mind, you confess it to God. Okay? Sin in the heart and mind, confess it to God. It's a private sin. 
If it's a sin between you and somebody else, you confess it to that person, whoever has been affected. In other words, listen, it's not wise to walk up to somebody and say, listen, I thought you were bird brain for all my life, but I want to tell you I'm sorry. <laughs> because they don't know that. Man, when you tell them that, they may say, oh, that's all right, don't worry about that. I promise you, they're going to put it in that file there. There's going to be some kind of rift in that. In other words, you understand what I'm saying? If it's a sin of the heart and mind, you simply confess private sins to private people, privately. You don't have to go above your area of your offense. In other words, if I sin against somebody, just me and that person, I don't necessarily have to go to everybody and say, listen, this is what I did to that person. No, you keep it between them and yourself. Now, if it's publicly, we confess it publicly. In other words, so your confession should never be larger than the area of your offense. Okay? And so when we pray this prayer, forgive us our debts, we are recognizing the propensity to get dirty as we walk through this world. David would say in Psalms 19 and 12, who can understand his errors? In other words, those are just things you just do. You ever just said this to yourself, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. But you realize you did it. David said, Lord, forgive me for those things I've done. Or omissions, things I should have done that I didn't do. Acquit me of unconscious, unintended faults. In other words, there's times in your life you may hurt somebody, you don't even know it. You, you, you may not even know it. And this is what David said, there may be things I've done that I don't even recognize in my life that has offended a holy God, my holy God, Lord, forgive me of those offenses. And the good news is this. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's talking to believers there. He's writing to my little children there. He's saying, if you would just simply confess it, don't try to conceal it, but if you will confess it, God will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then he says in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. In other words, he's not giving us permission to sin. I don't have to go back for thirds. I shouldn't, but I do. I don't have to eat all those boiled peanuts that I fix. I shouldn't, but I do. You don't have to sin. You shouldn't want to sin, but sometimes in our life, when we are walking through this world, we simply miss the mark. And that's the reason why we need to look at ourselves honestly before God and every day live a lifestyle of repentance saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins, things that I have done that offends you, the, that indebtment that I have towards you. And then he continues on and says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. An advocate, somebody that is right now, Jesus Christ. He is right now going before the Father for your needs, for my needs. 
Understand that. You have a divine defense attorney. He says this, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, but also for those of the whole world. And so when Jesus tells us when you pray, you should pray, forgive us our debts, realize this, every single day in your life, you probably have rack up a debt toward God because you don't meet the standard and so we all need to look at ourselves honestly and openly and say, Lord, forgive me where I have sinned. Forgive me where I have fallen short. Forgive me where I have strained that relationship with you. And then there's a secondary, not only vertically, it's also horizontally. And that first part was good, and the second part you may want to walk out. Just kidding. He says, verse 12 as we also have forgiven our debtors. See, one of the characteristics of a true child of God is being a forgiving person. For a forgiven person will be a forgiving person. In other words, this statement makes the assumption that because you are a child of God, because you've been forgiven as a child of God, you should forgive other people automatically. In Matthew 18 and 21, the Bible says that then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Have you ever felt like Peter? Lord, how many times must I forgive my husband? How many times must I forgive my wife? How many times must I forgive that family member? How many times must I forgive that co-worker that is absolutely driving me crazy? How many? God, you just tell me the number of times. He says seven times, if you'll just give me a number, then I can get my little notepad out and every time they offend me, I can write it down, I can, I can add it up and hopefully when I get to that eighth time, I can really let them have it then. Seven times. See, we want something like Peter, something concrete. So we can count it off and then really let them have it. But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Now listen, I know 70 times seven is 490. I understand that, but this is not what Jesus is saying, that on the 491 you're good to go and just really let them have it. What Jesus is saying here is it's to be an infinite number of times. Then Jesus proves this by this parable he tells. And let's read this in verse 23. He says, for this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, verse 24, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him and to be sold along with his wife and children all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, 
Have patience with me, and I will pay you, repay you everything. Now, let's stop here for a second. 10,000 talents is what was owed. If you research this, it would take somebody 200,000 years at that time to pay this back. And you think working 50 is bad. 200,000 years it would require of work just to pay this back. Okay? Then we said the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. And you would think if you had been forgiven that large a debt, you would keep a short record of what was owed to you. He says, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which is equivalent to $20. Okay? He found somebody that owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to play with him, saying, how patiently I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw that he had, what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported the, there to the Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you plead with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Verse 34 says, And his Lord moved with anger and handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And he said, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you do not forgive his brother from your heart. What does that mean from his heart? It means it's a genuine forgiveness. Listen. If God, through Jesus Christ, has forgiven us what we could never, ever repay him for, what is keeping us from forgiving those who have wronged? Listen, I'm not saying that every hurt is inconsequential. But when you compare it to what God has done for us, it becomes inconsequential. See, Paul would say it like this in Ephesians 4 and 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Bitterness is that smoldering resentment. It's a result of a wound that has come to you. Wrath means to get hot, to burn. Anger is an outward expression of that bitterness. Clamor is loud speaking, it's shouting. Slander is hurtful speech. Malice is the desire to harm. Now let's look at how this happens here, why he puts it in this order. Think about a husband and a wife here for a second, okay? There's a man that loves his wife very dearly. But something unpleasant happens. And instead of dealing with that issue, 
Nothing is said and bitterness sets in. After bitterness sets in, because he doesn't deal with that bitterness, a root grows in that bitterness. He becomes angry toward her. And then that anger moves to clamor, which is loud shouting at one another. Then that clamor moves to evil speaking, which says this, I wish I would have never married you. I can't stand to look at you. And then that hurtful, hateful speech becomes malice because he reaches up, shoves her, slaps her, hits her in the face or something far worse. You see how this happens? It starts when we don't deal with an offense. And we let that offense become bitterness in our life. And it's underneath. You can't really see it. But the longer you kind of stew on that, it moves to anger. And then when you are angry enough, you're going to boil over. And it leads to shouting. And then it leads to hurtful words. And then after that... It leads to malice, which is physical harm. That's the reason it's important for us to deal with issues quickly. In other words, when the offense happens, deal with it then. Because the longer you let it fester, the harder it's going to be to overcome this issue. And so... How do we forgive? Because he goes on to say, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Listen, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. What does it mean to forgive as Christ has forgiven us? It means this, that I will not bring the matter up again. The psalmist say in Psalms 130, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who could ever survive? In other words, when somebody offends you, say to yourself, I will not bring this up to them again when you forgive them. Y'all heard the story about June and Jane, two sisters, and they had a fallout and hadn't spoken to each other for about 30 years. And so one day June became deathly ill. She was in the hospital. They said that June is probably not going to make it through the night. So they called Jane and said, Jane, your sister June's about to die. You better get to the hospital. So Jane came up to the hospital she grabbed June by the hand and kissed her and says, I want you to know I forgive you, but if you get out of here, things stay the same. <laughs> what you're saying is this, I will not bring up the matter again. Because when you go to the Father and you ask God to forgive you, He has cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't say, you're back again? Well, did you not just lose your temper three days ago? No. God forgives. God forgets. And when you forgive somebody, you've got to say, I will not bring this matter up again. Also, you'll say this, I will not bring this matter up to somebody else. 
Not only bring it up to them, but bring it up to somebody else. See, a lot of us, we want to forgive somebody, but we want to tell people how we forgave them. I just want to tell you, I forgave that person. I don't want to tell you what they did to me. That's not forgiveness. That is not forgiveness when you go to somebody else and say, yeah, I forgave them, but this is what they did. See, I don't have this up there, but Proverbs 26 and 20 says, for the lack of wood, fire, for the lack of wood, fire goes out. And where there is no whisper, contention quiets down. In other words, if you quit talking about it, you can probably get over it quicker. The third thing is I will not bring up the matter to myself. In other words, I won't bring it up to that person that has offended me. I won't bring it up to other people. And I will not bring this up to myself because love keeps no record of being wrong. And I will say this, forgiveness does not mean there's no consequences because there are consequences. But because we've been forgiven, E-N, we should be a forgiving people. Because we have been so indebted to God. And God has forgiven us through Jesus Christ of our debt. We should forgive those who are indebted to us. So prayer is reconciling ourselves to God daily and to others as well because, as I said, we're all indebted to God. None of us is able to repay that debt, but Jesus Christ paid the debt for those who trust in him. And I would say, Lord, teach us to pray every day. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us.